don't drink Coke. Drink coffee. <laughs> it's 7 a.m. on the West Coast, 10 a.m. on the East Coast, 3 p.m. in London, midnight in New South Wales, and in Malaysia, it's 1964. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> Hello, hi, hi ho, oh my goodness. It's, uh, yeah, it's one of those nights. So we, we, we have to move the coffee cup or I'm gonna spill it. I promise you I will knock this off. But I can't live <clears throat> without the coffee cup. All right. Uh, Luna Amethyst, hello, welcome. Hey, good to have you along for the ride. Welcome into the stream. Hello to uh, folks across Facebook Live, also on YouTube and twitch.tv. And to those of you who are listening later on our podcast, on uh, Google Podcasts, on all the different places that we go out to, including uh, iTunes, Amazon, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio Public, Stitcher. Tuned in now, we're on. Tune in. Uh, thank you for listening. And uh, if you'd like to see the video portion of the show, you can either join us Monday, Wednesday, Saturdays live, or you can go to rumble.com. Sign up for a free account. Just search I'm Not Wearing Pants. You will find the channel there. And subscribe, please. Rumble.com, I'm Not Wearing Pants, is where you will find our uh, our video show. We upload that uh, very shortly after we're done here with the live stream. So, and that's what we're here about today. We've got uh, a lot going on. It is a Saturday night in Malaysia. And uh, the weather's been pretty not pretty not bad <laughs> pretty not bad is that a, is that a eh, probably not but um no it's uh, it's the last few weeks have been incredibly hot it's always hot here but it's been manageable for the last couple of days had a couple of nice rainstorms today and that helped i am hearing very low volume in my headset is my level okay out there? Let me know, please, in the chat. Uh, nice in Virginia. That's great. And eating an early lunch before work. <laughs> Lovely. Um, cool. Uh, yeah, Miko's doing well. She. Um, we had a very long walk tonight. We went a little bit of everywhere this evening, but uh, we 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 did okay. We were. Uh, we did probably mm, a good couple of kilometers, racing around and trying to figure out where we were going. She's made a few new friends. And by the way, if you saw the video I posted on my Facebook, uh, not not the I'm Not Wearing Pants channel, but my personal Facebook, which is everything I post there is public, so you can check it out. Request a friendship if you'd like. I'd be happy to add you to the mix. And um, anyway, so there's a Siamese cat who's been hanging out. And um, the... Uh, the two of them have become kind of friends now. They they fight with each other, play fighting, and the Siamese cat isn't having any of Miko's baloney, so he just 
goes right back after Miko. So they were they were kind of having a boxing match earlier tonight. <laughs> Random question from Luna Amethyst says, were you familiar with any of the voice artists before working on NSR together? Yes, as a matter of fact. Um, at least two or three of the guys and the gals that were part of the voice uh, voice artists for uh, No Straight Roads. Uh, it's a very small community here. There's not a whole lot of us voice artists in Malaysia. Uh, there's, I mean, there's relatively a lot, but I mean, you know, I don't know. I couldn't even probably put a number on how many there are. But um, no, uh, Stephen was a dear friend well before No Straight Roads. Um, everybody really, we, we kind of knew every, the, the only folks that I was not familiar with before we did No Straight Roads was actually Hans and the guys who created No Straight Roads. So I'm glad I got to get to know them because they are wonderful people, fantastic, uh, amazing game producers, obviously, but, uh, they're also really good people behind the scenes. So I'm very proud to be part of that project. It was a lot of fun. If you don't know what I'm talking about, by the way, I do the voice role of Cliff in the game, No Straight Roads. Check it out. It's, it's very cool. Um, uh, one of my neighbors has two adorable Pekingese. Oh, cute. Pekingese dogs are cute. Uh, actually on our walk tonight, Miko met a, uh, miniature schnauzer. I think it was. Absolutely adorable dog. She's so cool with other dogs, other animals, people. She's She just couldn't be friendlier. She loves making new friends. And uh, she was she was all into this uh, miniature schnauzer tonight. So she was very pleased. And the, the owner of that dog, a couple of young girls, said that uh, the dog doesn't get out much or interact with other dogs much. So... They got along great, little sniffing going on, a little hello, how are you kind of sniffs, and uh, everything was fine. So that worked out. It was a very cute little mini uh, mini schnauzer, too. Um, apparently, Tati's v voice artist is really well known in Malaysia, indeed. And she is super cool. You are correct. <laughs> All right. Um, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about. Oh, my God. I've got so many tabs open here to uh, to punch in on the show to talk about things uh, from ridiculous, uh, stupid, woke bullcrap to inspiring things. And in fact, uh, if you like me, and I got it bad, are suffering from cabin fever because uh, here in Malaysia, we are all under house arrest still, and they've just extended it another couple of weeks. And, you know, chances are everybody assumes they'll just extend it again. So, uh, well, whatever. Uh, yes, lockdowns, brilliant, smart move. Uh, so anyway, um, we have uh, some advice for you if these lockdowns have kind of gotten to you. You know, seriously, on a serious note, depression is a very real problem. And that is exacerbated by this lockdown crap. And so when I saw this, somebody posted... Uh, I thought, well, this is brilliant. Really some nice advice and some things to do to kind of break the cycle. I mean, we're all in it. We've been doing it for like over a freaking year now uh, in different degrees, uh, but we're right back at it again. So I'll get to that at the end. Um, yeah, lockdowns in the U.S. have very much loosened up. It depends on what state you're in, but, uh, you know, places like Florida, I don't think they ever locked down. They didn't have mask mandates. They have some of the best numbers 
in the country. Texas, same thing. And then on the other hand, some of the ridiculous states that lock down completely and, you know, you got a triple mask and all this other crap and, uh, you know, they have some of the worst numbers. So just going by the numbers and the science, folks, you do with that what you will. But anyway, I'll get to that later. I, I want to get into uh, some of the stuff that we were going to talk about tonight. <clears throat> and the first one also relates to you folks in the United States. This, when I read it, I thought to myself, there's no way this cannot be. Somebody posted this. I have cut off their name because it's not a public post, but there's nothing identifying here in the post. So trust me. It says banned books. I was talking to my mom on the phone recently, casually inquiring whether my book To Kill a Mockingbird is still in my mom's home bookshelves. So glad and relieved when she replied that it is still there. The book has recently been banned in the U.S. What? When, in God's name, did the U.S. start banning books? The U.S. doesn't ban books. The woke crowd tries to stop publication of books. Idiots. But there's no such thing in the U.S. I mean... Unfortunately, in a lot of backwards, ridiculous, idiotic countries, they do ban books, you know, free speech and all that stuff. Oh, no, no, we can't have that. You can't read this. You can't read that. But the U.S., unless things have changed a lot in the last 20 years, if anybody over there is listening in the U.S. and you can confirm that because you, you know for sure, please put it in the chat. Let me know. Because the last thing I knew, and I would find it very hard to believe, that the U.S. is banning books. It, it continues here. Other banned books that I owned, Catcher in the Rye, The Great Gatsby, and Farewell to Arms. Um, now that just cannot be. I've also owned several banned books, which have acquired throughout the years. They've probably become more precious now. The banning of certain books makes the reader want to get hold of them even more. Yeah, well, that's true. Uh, next on my list is to get No Man is an Island by James Minchin, which is banned in Singapore. Oh, there, Singapore, another ridiculous place with no free speech and banning books and banning free speech. Anyway, I, I saw that and I thought, you know, I need to find out. I know I've got a lot of viewers in the U.S., Email me if you want and tell me what you found. I tried to research it. I can't really find much that exactly says that books are being banned in the U.S., but I sure the hell hope not. Uh, no pants right there. There it goes. No pants at jsheldon.com. If you'd like to send me an email about that, I would love to hear from you. Um, and speaking of the U.S., here's one of those nicely worked out segues. Um, our ambassador from the United States here in Malaysia, uh, just made headlines for something that's really pretty cool. Um, and this is from the world of Buzz. I love this. I'm going to probably have to realign the, uh, or realign the, yeah, that eh, nah, kind of fits. Okay. This is from worldofbuzz.com. Um, the ambassador of the U.S., where's the headline? Here we go. He speaks better than some MPs. Malaysians impressed by the U.S. ambassador's fluency in BM. 
And for those of you who don't know, that's Bahasa Malaysia. Uh, that is our, our national language here in Malaysia, uh, BM. And uh, in a recent video, there's a picture of uh, His Excellency, uh, the U.S. Embassy KL in Kuala Lumpur, that's our capital city, uh, Ambassador Brian D. McFeeders was seen speaking about some additional COVID-19 assistance that was provided from the U.S. to Malaysia, it just recently was distributed. And um, what surprised Malaysians was uh, how the ambassador did his entire speech entirely in perfect Bahasa Malaysia. And I watched the video. I, I don't, I'm going to try and play it, but I'm not sure the sound is going to come through. It's gotten, uh, what, 397 views, uh, 18,000 likes, 13,000 comments since it was posted on the 15th of June. That's just uh, four days ago. And netizens in Malaysia had nothing but high praise for the ambassador and his professional delivery of the message in our national language here in Malaysia. One user praised the ambassador for his fluency, adding that some Malaysians don't know how to speak Bahasa, although they've been born and raised in Malaysia. Uh, there's some of the comments here from uh, different sources. It says that one user commented, thank you, Mr. Ambassador. You are amazing. Great command of Bahasa as some of these replies are actually in BM. So to those folks watching on the video, you likely wouldn't be able to read it if you're not from Malaysia. Um, but it was, it was fantastic. The ambassador explained the details of the recent aid given by the embassy. This is a picture of uh, some of those boxes of aid uh, delivered to the National Disaster Management Agency in Putrajaya including information technology equipment and that uh, NADMA will be using to manage COVID-19 response operations in Malaysia. According to the ambassador, the donation also includes personal protective gear, PPE, uh, face masks, hand sanitizer, thermometers for frontline uh, workers. McFeeders, McFeeders was previously the deputy chief of mission of the U.S. Embassy in Jakarta, Indonesia, becoming uh, before becoming the ambassador uh, to Malaysia. I'm going to do a quick flip here. I don't know if this is going to work or not, but I will try and see if you can get the audio. Let's see. Malaysia sedang mengalami kesulitan serius sebab COVID. Pada masa ini, saya sebagai duta besar dan rekan saya di Kedutaan Amerika Syarikat ingin membantu rakyat Malaysia dengan apa cara sekalipun. Ini menjadi prioriti utama kami. Hari ini, dengan sukacitanya, saya mengumumkan bantuan tambahan COVID-19 oleh Kedutaan AS kepada Malaysia. Awal bulan ini, kami menyampaikan bekalan bantuan okay. COVID-19. Um, since I don't know whether or not that's actually working, <laughs> I'm going to cut it there. But uh, if, if it is working, you can hear it's absolutely perfect BM, Bahasa Malaysia. Uh, and on the podcast, you will hear it because I will dub it in before we upload the podcast to all of our podcast sites. So you will have heard exactly how good that, that actually was. So congratulations to our, uh, our ambassador from the United States here in Malaysia. Very cool. Very, very, very cool. Um, all right. I just wanted to give a tip of the hat where a tip of the hat was due. Sorry, it's coffee break time. Ah, 
the pause that refreshes. Okay, saw this, had to laugh. <laughs> I swear. Somebody posted this. It is apparently Hagen Das's new marketing scheme here in Malaysia. Um, yeah, they put a big sign on the front of the cooler. Here we go. A big sign on the front of the cooler for Hagen Das. There's a, a cooler here all full of ice cream. And it says, don't hold back. Okay, here's the reality. That amount of Hagen Das ice cream, if you didn't hold back, would likely cost you about 432,000 ringgit. <laughs> it, I'm serious. <laughs> I, look, I love Hagen Das ice cream. I truly do. But it is so freaking expensive here in Malaysia. It is. I'm guessing it's not locally manufactured and purely imported, which would explain the price. But seriously, if you bought that much Haagen-Dazs ice cream, it cost you probably three years' salary. Um, it ain't cheap. And then when you do get one, they have this little tiny, it's about that big around and about that tall. It's like one mouthful of ice cream. And uh, I think that costs probably 50, 60, 80, 120 bucks, something like that. It's... Uh, it's it's a little out of hand, all right? <laughs> Needless to say, I do not eat a whole lot of haagen ice cream. I like haagen I just don't eat haagen Okay, uh, here, come the, uh, here come the bots again. But, you know, my audience is certainly not stupid enough to fall for the clicking on the link things. I don't have mods, so... Just know that whatever goes out, goes out. I've got some automatic AI systems that will kill most of it. But sometimes you get these stupid people who post silly things like that. And we just laugh at them and then they go away. All right. What else will we go? Uh, oh, this was nice. This was inspiring. I found this and I wanted to uh, I wanted to share this with you because I love this. It's really nice. Uh, William Ketchum. Uh, recently... Hey, Crystal Violin! Oh my goodness! It has been a while, Crystal. Nice to see you. Thanks for jumping in and remembering us. It's been a while since you came to a stream. I am so happy you came back. Thanks, Crystal. Good to see you. Uh, we're still doing the same old crap. <laughs> it never stops. Uh, anyway, I saw this and I thought, this was very cool. This, take this to heart. Listen up. Recently told a friend how it confuses me when people think more highly of me than I do of myself, <clears throat> and she said this, they see who you really are instead of what you've lied to yourself about. It's stuck with me ever since. Fellow imposter syndrome sufferers, keep that in mind. When people say something like, you know, they, they give you a high compliment. They make comments about the way you look, your intelligence, things that you do. They compliment you. And um, again, the writer here, speaking in the first person, it's not me, uh, told a friend how it confuses this person when people think more highly of them than they do of themselves. And the reply was, they see you how you really are instead of what you've lied to yourself about all these years. Very cool and very inspirational and something to keep in mind um, when you're out there. So, 
Yeah, I like that. I thought I would share it. Um, and this one also, I might have shared this before. I might have. I'm not sure. It sounds familiar, but it might just be that I saw it and I didn't share it. Anyway, it's worth sharing again because it's Ricky Gervais and we love Ricky Gervais. He says, please stop saying you can't joke about anything anymore. You can. Oh, I got a friend request. Cool. I'll accept that later. <laughs> please stop saying you can't joke about anything anymore. You can. You can joke about whatever the you like. And some people won't like it. And they will tell you that they don't like it. And then it's up to you whether or not you give up or not. And so on. It's a good system. Yes, it is a very good system indeed. Misha, demigod of discordance. Ayo. Hey, Misha, good to see you. Thanks for jumping in here on the stream. Yes, please, joke. Uh, comedians, look, don't fall for the woke crowd crap. Please, just don't give in to their BS. That You know, you're just allowing them to continue to gain power over you because you allow it. It's not that they have the power. They don't. You are letting it happen. Don't let it happen. You just keep joking about whatever the hell you want to joke about. Jokes are jokes and comedy is comedy and it's funny. It may not be woke. It may not be politically correct, but that's exactly what makes it comedy. So you do you. All right? All right. Got another one. I've just got this. Is, there's no segues here because everything is such a mesh, a mushmash, a mushmash. I made a new word. <laughs> All right. Did, <laughs> I did not know this. Before 1954, how many years ago was that? Wow. 50, 60, 70, 70 years maybe? Before 1954, stop signs used to be yellow with black lettering. They look pretty much, it's an octagon with the big stop in the middle, but they were not red, they were yellow. And this was because, I, this is so weird, this was because there was no red dye available that would not over time fade out, which of course would then make it a pink stop sign, I guess. But the dye did not exist at the time which wouldn't fade, that was red color. So they made them all yellow. Apparently yellow wouldn't fade. Uh, by 1954, sign makers found and began using a fade-resistant porcelain enamel. And it was declared that then stop signs would be red with white lettering. And to this day they are. Although... In different countries, the word stop, for example, here it's Berhenti, I think. The stop sign here in Malaysia says Berhenti, which, which is stop in Bahasa Malaysia. And my, my Bahasa Malaysia is nowhere near as good as the ambassador's <laughs> is, so you'll have to forgive me for that one. <laughs> uh, Crystal Violin says, I once joked about something dumb in a Discord server, and three people in that server said nobody in the server liked the joke. What matters is that I thought it was funny. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's like 
So you didn't like the joke. So what? Did you break a leg? Did you fall over dead? Did you stop breathing? You didn't like the joke. So what? Move on. You thought it was funny, so there you go. Oh, I'm offended. I'm offended. Uh, good, good. I'm glad you're offended. And then what? And then life went on. You picked up, you put on your big boy pants or your big girl pants, and you moved on. I'm offended. How did we get here? Seriously, how did we get here? I don't care that you're offended. In fact, I'm glad you're offended. And then what? And then life went on. I feel like I've heard this before. <laughs> yeah, really? Okay, let's move off to that and let's get on to something inspirational, shall we? Take a look at these three women. Look at that. These three women here. This is from Bugged Space on Facebook. Check it out, Bugged Space. These three women in this photograph is from 1885. They were the first licensed female doctors in each of their respective countries. October 10th, 1885. I probably can't read all the names. Dr. Anadabai Joshi from India. Dr. K. What? Okand from Tokyo, Japan, spelled the old-fashioned way, and Dr. Tahat Jalahluli, something, from Syria. Anyway, one from uh, India, one from Japan, and one lady is from uh, Syria, and all three of them in 1885 were the first licensed female doctors. Very cool. And you have to understand, 1885, that's not some small accomplishment, especially for a woman back then. <sighs> Speaking of way back, see how I did that segment? I just did that little segue there into uh, from way back to way back. Not that far in the 1800s, although to me it feels a little bit like it's that far. <laughs> However, check this out. The My hometown, where I was born, was Cornwall, Connecticut. Cornwall, if you don't know, I've mentioned this. Yeah, three ladies from three different countries. Really incredible. Um, my hometown, Cornwall, Connecticut, is in the northwest hills of Connecticut. It is beautiful, absolutely gorgeous, uh, very small town. Not so small nowadays, but still small town. It is about equidistance between Boston, Massachusetts, and New York City. So it's just about in the middle. Um, uh, very close to the New York state line and the Massachusetts state line. It's up in the northwest corner of Connecticut, if you want to look it up. Anyway, grew up there, still have a lot of friends there. Uh, folks that I grew up with are still living there in Cornwall, Connecticut. Um, yes, I believe Cornwall, Connecticut was somehow likely named after Cornwall in England. Whenever I say I'm from Cornwall, people expect I should be talking like this. Although I don't know how to do a Cornwall accent. Um, I'm not sure how people in Cornwall would talk. But I'll just do a generic English accent and perhaps that would uh, suffice. All right. So anyway, no, but Cornwall is in Connecticut, is in the United States. And we don't talk like that. 
but there is a Cornwall Historical Society, and they have put out this amazing jigsaw puzzle. You know, there's another thing. I did a show a while back, a segment on a show a while back, that talked about the cool stuff in Malaysia that is not cool in the U.S. Among them was bowling, karaoke. Mm, There was something else. I can't remember what it was now. But bowling and karaoke were the biggies, uh, which are cool things to do here. But in the U.S., mm, not so much. It's not really thought of as being something cool to do. Well, jigsaw puzzles are very popular here in Malaysia, still. And in the U.S., once again, not really so much. Even kids these days don't play with jigsaw puzzles. They're playing with this. But um, jigsaw puzzles are very cool, and the Cornwall Historical Society has taken one of Ruth Gannett's most famous lithographs and turned it into a jigsaw puzzle. I assume that you can buy one. However, in this post, which is a public post, I'm not sharing any forbidden secrets here. Um, It doesn't say where you can buy one. I assume if you're listening in the Cornwall area, you can probably check with the Historical Society or maybe find them on Facebook and message them. It's the Cornwall Historical Society. But uh, I'll show you the picture in just a minute. Stay with me. Um, (laughs) uh, It's a 500-piece puzzle and a reproduction of the original lithograph by Cornwall artist Ruth Crispin Gannett, who passed away. She was born in 1896, by the way, and she passed away in 1979. It is amazingly detailed. She captures the quaint spirit of West Cornwall, and um, you'll see little travelers at the train station, a fisherman waiting in the Housatonic. Here is the picture. I'm sorry that it's... Oh, there you go. There you have the actual actual, uh, puzzles. Very cool. But there's the picture. Let me see if I can make that big. Ah, there you go. Check this out. Now, this is the Housatonic River right here. That is the famous covered bridge in West Cornwall. This is the Sharon side, Sharon, Connecticut, of the bridge, because the, uh, the the line is just about here between Cornwall and Sharon. And uh, let's see, the Locks house is just missing. That was off this side of the picture over here. Uh, Do I still have my mouse? Yes, I do. I'm sorry if this bores you, but it fascinates me, so I'm going to talk about it. Um, My very first job was right here. Let me first, this was the post office, probably still is the post office. That is and or was Utzler's Country Store, little three-aisle grocery store. Remember we talked about that in the previous stream? Five and ten cent ice cream cones. scoop, And they were real ice cream. And uh, yeah, that's Utzler's store. That's the old post office. This is where I hung out in my youth. Down there at the corner, uh, we would steal beers and drink them, even though we were not old enough to drink. The very first time I ever went to New York City, first time of many, many hundreds of trips after that, I got on a train right here at this train station because that is the train track that goes through or used to go through West Cornwall. And at the time, there were still passenger trains. You could jump on here and wind up at Grand Central Station in New York City. It's uh, it's amazing. My house, however, 
it just misses because if if you go up this road, which is Route 128 in in West Cornwall, Utsler uh, store there, my house was just around that corner, just missed. Um, if she had taken the perspective about 20 feet that way, you probably could have looked up and seen my house, but it's not in the lithograph. Anyway, if you are interested in one of these amazing uh, puzzles, there's a picture of the books. Uh, I assume there's no information on the page how you can get them, but if you contact the Cornwall Historical Society, uh, I think I'm going to do that because I would love to own one of those. That would be really, really cool. To, uh, to actually have that. It's such a great... My mom, actually, um, has one of the original copies. I say has, I should say has, had. I'm not sure she still does. I hope so, because she has one of the original copies of that Ruth Gannett lithograph, which likely these days would be quite valuable. Very nice. Uh, Crystal says that reminds me of a certain places in Japan because the houses packed together. Yeah, you're right. It is a bit Japanese village kind of look. And you actually, if you see the town itself, you know what I should do? I should try and find you a picture of West Cornwall, the way it really looks. And you'll see that that actually that um, <laughs> it's giving me it's giving me uh, England's Cornwall. <laughs> Let me see if I can find because there are. Okay, I'll tell you what, let me, I'll just share this. Hang on, here we go. Stop, hold on, there we go. Yeah, there's the covered bridge we talked about. It's amazing. There's a shot here of, uh, from the other perspective. Um, I don't, of course, the biggest thing that's going to come up is the covered bridge, because that's the thing that everybody talks about. But um, you see there, there's the, uh, oh, actually, there, you don't have my mouse. There we go. <clears throat> Um, yeah, it's picturesque is probably not even accurate enough of a word for what this town is. It is, there's the railroad station. Oh, you can't see that because it's, uh, hang on. Let me just expand this a little bit. There you go. There's the railroad station. And, um, I don't see, there are pictures taken from the same angle as that lithograph. But at the moment, I don't see them. This is the post office that I talked about, which is right near uh, near Utzler's store. And uh, yeah, it's just a bunch of uh, a bunch of the covered bridge pictures. So, but again, as you can tell, what a beautiful place to grow up. I am so happy that I actually grew up in an amazing town like uh, like West Cornwall. That's incredible. There you go. A little bit of my hometown, a little bit memories of days gone by. Wow. Wow. Whenever I get melancholy or a little out of sorts, honestly, a little depressed, that is exactly what brings me back, is thinking about growing up in such an amazing town like Cornwall and the good friends. And in fact, in a lot of cases, the good friends I still have to this day. Um, yeah, that's, that's a big part of, I think what made me everything that I am today, as weird as it is, is growing up in such an amazing place like, uh, like Cornwall. 
It is, it is what keeps me semi-sane. I can't say I'm sane because I'm not. All right. And uh, speaking of being depressed, being upset, being, I don't know, some melancholy feeling. Uh, as you know, we have been under lockdown in some form or another for well over a year now here in Malaysia. A lot of other countries. Some countries not. Uh, in fact, I was just reading that uh, one of the one of the countries, was it was it the Netherlands? I can't remember. One of the Scandinavian countries who never had mask mandates, never had lockdowns, and they have some of the best numbers as far as infections, deaths, things like that in the world. And yet, never locked down, no mask mandates. If you want to wear a mask, you wear a mask. You don't want to wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Um, and indeed, they've had some of the best results from, they had infections, but nowhere near the kind of percentages that other countries have had. Anyway, so we've been under some form or another of lockdown. I get a bit of cabin fever, honestly, sometimes. I just get, you know, stuck in the house. Work, of course, continues, but, you know, there's these four walls. Thankfully, I have this outlet three nights a week. I can chat with you. But I saw something that somebody posted, and I thought, I need to share this. Let me just double check. Um... It is a public post, so Catherine, thank you very much for uh, for posting this, and I wanted to share it with you, even for those of you listening later on the podcast, listening now on the podcast. Um, it's important. It's a little long, but it's important. You need to think about this, because even if you don't think you're affected by having to, you know, stay home, even, you know, nobody gives hugs anymore. I was in a situation earlier today where I desperately wanted to shake somebody's hand and I couldn't. I had to fist bump. And sorry, a fist bump just does not replace a good old-fashioned, strong, look-em-in-the-eye handshake. And we don't do that anymore, and we better get back to doing that soon. Damn soon. If you are feeling a bit down... These bits of advice are very powerful. They're simple. Look, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm just offering some pretty basic ways to maybe kick yourself in the ass a little bit, get yourself going a little bit, realize that things aren't as god-awful as sometimes they seem. And... uh among the many things that uh, this person suggests, hang on, before we get to that, Crystal Violin, here in the U.S., restaurants starting to open up. I'm a little thankful for the mask mandate, so nobody has to see how my teeth <laughs> are bad. Uh, wow, okay. Anyway, yeah, so it's good that, that uh, things are opening up, and hopefully they'll do that here too, and, uh, also soon. All right, so here's some ideas for you. Just, again, I'm not a doctor, Check this out. Shower. Not a bath. Take a shower. Use water as hot or as cold as you like. You don't even need to wash. Just get in the water. Let it run over you for a while. Sit on the floor if you've got to. Moisturize 
everything. Use whatever lotion you like. Unscented, dollar store lotion, fancy 48-hour lotion that makes you smell like a field of wildflowers. Use whatever you want, and use it all over your dermis. That's skin, for those of you who don't know. Put on clean, comfortable clothes. Chances are you've been hanging around the house in the same clothes for how many days now? Put them in the hamper. Put on a fresh pair of clean, comfortable clothes. Put on your favorite underwear. Cute black lacy panties, maybe, or those ridiculous boxers you bought last Christmas with the candy cane hearts on the butt. Put those on. Drink cold water. Use ice if you want. Add some mint or some lemon for an extra boost. The writer here says she always uses lemon. Clean something. I liked this one. It doesn't have to be anything big. If you have a shelf of knickknacks, maybe they're dusty. Take them down one by one. Give them a good dusting. Put them back up on the shelf. But clean something. Organize maybe one desk drawer. Wash five dirty dishes. Do a load of laundry if you want. Scrub the bathroom sink. Just clean something. You'd be surprised. It'll help. Blast music. Listening to some upbeat, dancey, and loud, got a lot of energy, sing to it. Even if you can't sing, sing like nobody's listening. Dance to it, even if you can't dance. It says that even if you suck at both, sing and dance right out loud. Let yourself go. Make food. Don't just grab a granola bar for lunch. Take the time to make food, even if it's a pack of ramen. Add something special to it, like a soft-boiled egg or some vegetables. Prepare food. It tastes way better, and you'll feel like you've accomplished something. Another idea? Make something. Write a short story. Write a poem. Draw a picture, even if you can't draw. Color a picture. Fold origami. Crochet, knit if you can. Sculpt something out of clay. Anything artistic. Even if you suck at it. Do it. Create. Go outside if you're able. Take a walk. Sit in the grass. Look at the clouds. Smell the flowers. Put your hands in the dirt. Dig your hands in the dirt. And feel the soil against your skin. Call someone, call a loved one, a friend, a family member. Chat service if you have nobody else to call. Talk to a stranger on the street. Have a conversation and listen to the sound of someone else's voice besides your own. If you can't bring yourself to call, text, email, whatever. Just have some social interaction with another person. Cuddle your pets, if you have them and you can cuddle them. Take pictures of them, talk to them, tell them how you feel about your favorite movie, tell them about a new game coming out, anything, just talk to them. May seem small or silly to some, but this list might help keep some people alive. At your absolute best, you won't be good enough for the wrong people. 
But at your worst, you'll still be worth it to the right ones. Remember that and keep holding on. And in case nobody's told you today, I love you. And you're worth your weight and then some in gold. So be kind to yourself. And most of all, keep pushing on. Find something to be grateful for. Find something to be grateful for. That's really nice. I like that a lot. Take that advice if you like. Take one thing of all those things in there and, uh, and do it. Do it today. If it's late at night where you live, do it tomorrow. It's all right. No rush, no requirements. <clears throat> all right, folks. Wow, we did 50 minutes on pure bullcrap. <laughs> That's all right. I hope you enjoyed the bullcrap. Because it is time, finally, to move on into the little prince. Yay. All right. As you know, we, uh, we've been reading... We, we've always, since we started this stream 76 streams ago, uh, we read books on our stream. And um, I've been doing The Little Prince lately. And uh, we are through 14, we're just starting chapter 14 here uh, tonight. We will uh, move on in and, oh, there we go. Cool. So we're going to do uh, The Little Prince. Let me move that over in the corner. And we're going to start with, uh, yeah, story time with an old man who's not wearing pants. Exactly right. <laughs> All right, here we go. Chapter 14, The Little Prince Visits the Lamplighter. The fifth planet was very strange. It was the smallest of all. There was just enough room for a street lamp and a lamplighter. The little prince was not able to reach any explanation of the use of a street lamp and a lamplighter somewhere in the heavens, on a planet which had no people and not one house. But he said to himself, nevertheless, it may well be that this man is absurd, but he is not so absurd as the king, the conceited man, the businessman, and the tippler, for at least his work has some meaning. When he lights his street lamp, it is as if he brought one more star to life, or one flower. When he puts out his lamp, he sends the flower or the star to sleep. That is a beautiful occupation. And since it's beautiful, it is truly useful. When he arrived on the planet, he respectfully saluted the lamplighter. Good morning. Why have you just put out your lamp? Those are the orders, replied the lamplighter. Good morning. Uh, what are the orders? Oh, the orders are that I put out my lamp. Good evening. And he lighted his lamp again. But why have you then just lighted it again? Well, those are the orders replied the lamplighter. I do
do not understand, said the little prince. Oh, there's nothing to understand, said the lamplighter. Orders are orders. Good morning. And he put out his lamp. Then he mopped his forehead with a handkerchief, decorated with red squares. I follow a terrible profession. In the old days, it was reasonable. I put the lamp out in the morning, and in the evening, I lighted it again. I had the rest of the day for relaxation and the rest of the night for sleep. And the orders have been changed since that time? Oh, the orders have not been changed, said the lamplighter. That is the tragedy. From year to year, the planet has turned more rapidly, and the orders have not been changed. Then what? asked the little prince. Then... The planet now makes a complete turn every minute, and I no longer have a single second for repose. Once every minute, I have to light my lamp and put it out. That's very funny. A day lasts only one minute here where you live? It's not funny at all, said the lamplighter. While we've been talking together, a month has gone by. A month? Yes, a month, thirty minutes, thirty days. Good evening. And he lit his lamp again. As the little prince watched him, he felt that he loved this lamplighter who was so faithful to his orders. He remembered the sunsets which he himself had gone to seek in other days merely by pulling up his chair, and he wanted to help his friend. You know, he said, I can tell you a way you can rest whenever you want to. Oh, I always want to rest, said the lamplighter. For it is possible for a man to be faithful and lazy at the same time. The little prince went on with his explanation. Your planet is so small that three strides will take you all the way around it. To be Always in sunshine, you need only walk along rather slowly. When you want to rest, you will walk, and the day will last as long as you like. Well, that doesn't do me much good, said the lamplighter. The one thing I love in life is to sleep. Then you're unlucky, said the little prince. I am unlucky, said the lamplighter. Good morning and he put out his lamp. That man, the little prince said to himself, as he continued farther on his journey, that man would be scorned by all the others, by the king, by the conceited man, by the tippler, by the businessman. Nevertheless, he is the only one of them who does not seem to me ridiculous. Perhaps that is because he is thinking of something else, besides himself. He breathed a sigh of regret and said to himself again, that man is the only one of them, all whom I could have made my friend. But his planet is indeed too small. There is no room on it for two people. What the little prince did not dare confess was that he was sorry most of all to leave this planet because it was blessed every day with 1,440 
sunsets. Chapter 15. The Little Prince Visits the Geographer. The sixth planet was ten times larger than the last one. It was inhabited by an old gentleman who wrote voluptuous books. Oh, look, here's an explorer, he exclaimed to himself when he saw the little prince coming. The little prince sat down on the table and panted a little. He'd also traveled so much and so far. Where do you come from? the old gentleman said to him. What is that big book? said the little prince, and what are you doing? Oh, I am a geographer, the old gentleman said to him. What's a geographer? asked the little prince. A geographer is a scholar who knows all the locations of all the seas and rivers, towns, mountains, and deserts. That's very interesting, said the little prince. Here, at last, is a man who has a real profession. And he cast a look around him at the planet of the geographer. It was the most magnificent and stately planet that he had ever seen. Your planet is very beautiful, he said. Has it any oceans? Oh, I couldn't tell you, said the geographer. Ah, uh, little prince was disappointed. Has it any mountains? Mm, I couldn't tell you, said the geographer. And towns and rivers and deserts? I couldn't tell you that either. But you're a geographer. Exactly, the geographer said. But I'm not an explorer. I haven't a single explorer on my planet. It is not the geographer who goes out to count the towns, the rivers, the mountains, the seas, the oceans, and the deserts. The geographer is much too important to go loafing about. He does not leave his desk, but he receives the explorers in his study. He asks them questions and notes down what they recall their travelers, of their travels, and if the recollections of any one among them seem interesting to him, the geographer orders an inquiry into that explorer's moral character. Why is that? Well, because an explorer who told lies would bring disaster on the books of the geographer. So would an explorer who drank too much. Why is that? asked the little prince. Well, because intoxicated men see double. Then the geographer would note down two mountains in a place where there was only one. I know someone, said the little prince, who would make a bad explorer. That is possible. Then when the moral character of the explorer is shown to be good, an inquiry is ordered into his discovery. One goes to see it? No, no, that would be too complicated. But one requires the explorer to furnish proofs. For example, if the discoverer, uh, discovery in question is that of a, a large mountain, one requires that large stones be brought back from it. The geographer was suddenly stirred to excitement. But you, you come from far away. You are an explorer. 
you shall describe your planet to me. And having opened his big register, the geographer sharpened his pencil. The recitals of explorers are put down first in pencil. One waits until the explorer has furnished proofs before putting them down in ink. Well, said the geographer expectantly. Oh, where I live, said the little prince, it is not very interesting. It is also small. I have three volcanoes. Two volcanoes are active and the other one is extinct, but one never knows. One never knows, said the geographer. I also have a flower. Uh, we do not record flowers, said the geographer. Why is that? The flower is the most beautiful thing on my planet. Oh, we do not record them, said the geographer, because they are ephemeral. What does that mean, ephemeral? Geographies, said the geographer, are books which of all books are most concerned with matters of consequence. They never become old-fashioned. It is very rarely that a mountain changes its position. It is a very rare thing that an ocean empties itself of water. We write of eternal things. But extinct volcanoes may come to life again, said the little prince. What does that mean, ephemeral? Whether volcanoes are extinct or alive, it, it comes to the same thing for us, said the geographer. The thing that matters to us is the mountain. It does not change. But what does that mean, ephemeral, repeated the little prince, who never in his life had let go of a question once he'd asked it. It means which is in danger of speedy disappearance. Is my flower in danger of speedy disappearance? It certainly is. My flower is ephemeral, said the little prince to himself, and she has only four thorns to defend herself against the world, and I have left her on my planet all alone. This was his first moment of regret, but he took courage once more. What place would you advise me to visit now? he asked. Oh, the planet Earth, replied the geographer. It has a good reputation. And the little prince went away, thinking of his flower. And on our next stream, we will follow up into chapter 16. The narrator discusses the Earth's lamplighters. That'll be coming up on Monday's stream. So be sure and join us for that. Wow. What a night. We talked about so much stuff and I loved every minute of it. Thank you so much for coming along for the ride. We'll remind those of you who are listening on the podcasts from our show, uh, whether it's uh, iTunes, Amazon, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, thank you for doing that, and please do subscribe. If you want to watch the video version of our show, 
We upload this, uh, in fact, all our episodes are there. After tonight, it'll be 76 of them on rumble.com. You can sign up for a free account on rumble.com. It's absolutely free. And uh, by the way, if you are in Malaysia, I don't know why it's really screwed up, but for some reason, the app is not available in Malaysia from the Playtune or wherever, uh, Play Store. Just go to the uh, website, app uh, rumble.com on a browser. And it works fine. And it does everything the app does. So you don't need the app for rumble.com. Just go to a browser, open a browser, and go to rumble.com. Sign up for a free account and look for I'm Not Wearing Pants. And please subscribe. I really do appreciate it because the subscriptions help me and help the show out a lot. So thank you for that. I will see you again on Monday night, 10 o'clock. Sometimes we add in a little weird extra broadcast. I did one yesterday. Hardly anybody caught it, but it was in the morning for me, so the nighttime for some of you guys. And actually, I wound up with quite a few people who kind of discovered this weird show. Yeah. So anyway, I will see you again on Monday night. Thank you for listening and for watching. And uh, until then, I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Good night. (laughs)